We are marking 50 years this month since the most celebrated hockey series, perhaps the most talked about hockey series in history, played out over eight games during the month of September, both here at home and in Moscow. The 1972 Summit Series was meant to show once and for all that the Soviets, so dominant on the amateur stage, would be no match for the NHL's very best. Team Canada's roster included 12 future Hall of Famers, names like Esposito, Dryden, Makita, Clark, Cornwallier, the list goes on. And the one player who will be forever associated with that incredible four weeks, Paul Henderson. And the goal that would win it for Canada in the dying moments of that eighth and final game in Moscow, the goal heard right across this country. Here's Foster Hewitt with that call. Cornwallier has it on that wing. Here's a shot. Henderson made a wild stab for it and fell. Here's another shot. Right by the door. Foster Hewitt there. I wasn't quite two, and I get shivers when I hear that call because I've heard it so many times over the years. Many Canadians will remember that moment. Where were you? Let me know, 877-399-9898, 877-399-9898. Share your memories. Henderson, of course, was not a superstar at the time. He did score 38 goals that previous year, earning him an invite to Team Canada. But by the time those eight Summit Series games were done, he'd earned a place in Canadian hockey history, game-winning goals in not just Game 8, but also in must-wins in Game 6 and 7. And the man who scored what has often been called the goal of the century, perhaps the most important goal in Canadian history, number 19, Paul Henderson, joins me now from Mississauga. Thank you for your time tonight. Looking forward to it. Amazing to think, I mean, 50 years. It's, it must have flown by in some ways, or, or been, it must have been a bit of both goes faster every year, I'll tell you. <laughs> Coming back, bring me back to, to 1972, that summer when you were invited to play on that team. Um, you must have looked at that roster and thought, I wonder how much I'm going to play and uh, what kind of impact I'm going to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ronnie Ellis and I looked at the, uh, we thought we uh, Normie Ullman would have been invited. We really thought our whole line would have been invited. But right. Anyway, we looked at that. There were seven left-wingers, seven right-wingers, and seven center-right-wingers. And Ronnie and I, really good, even to this day, really good friend. And we looked at the lineup, and we figured if we got Stan Makita would be our first choice. We'd be maybe the fifth line. But at the worst, if we got Bobby Clark, we'd definitely be the seventh line. <laughs> so we go to the, the practice, and it's Clark, Ellis, and Henderson. And so we went out after the uh, practice and had a couple of beers. And I said, you know, I really, Ronnie and I really want to play in uh, in Toronto. And the only way we're going to get to play in Toronto is we've got to go out there and work our rear end off. We've got to make the team. And so why don't we get serious and really show these guys who can play? And we didn't know Bobby Clark, I think, was only 21, 22. Yeah, he was just a kid, and, right? Uh, yeah. We, you didn't have to, you know, he was ready to play at any time, any place, anywhere yeah. and do anything. And so anyway, we decided to work hard and we did. And we were we were big underdogs. And and so the uh, just busted our rear end to make the truth. And then we played. a. It became evident that we were pretty good and we played a red white game. In fact, we played three of them and our line was. Probably as good a line anybody out in the ice. The last one I scored, we beat uh, Phil's team uh, 5-2, I think it was, and I got two, got one, and, and we knew we were going to probably be in the first game in uh, 
in uh, Montreal. You know, and, we wanted to play in Toronto for sure, but uh, and the only line that played all eight games together, actually. Yeah, I mean, you were one of those lines that really clicked just watching back uh, over the footage and so on. So in Montreal, you score the second goal. You're up 2 nothing. Things are looking good. Um, how did you feel coming into this series? And I gather after scoring that second goal, the whole team, including yourself, had a bit of a, a, a moment of clarity about what was going to be lie ahead in terms of your opposition. Well, it, it, Clark and Ellis remember me coming back to the bench, and I looked at them and said, just after I scored, we come off, <clears throat> I said, boys, this is going to be a very long series. We knew even leading 2 nothing, I knew that we were in trouble. Uh, the, the, they broke every rule of the book. I played for Punch Imlach. You never went backwards. Never. He even hated a drop pass. When they right. come up, they, they didn't like what they looked at. They went back and regrouped. You know, what is this? And then poor Dryden, every time he thought they were going to shoot, uh, they passed. And every time he thought they were going to pass, they shot. And so, yeah, it was a rude awakening. And, and the physical conditioning was just – and the biggest mistake we made, or Harry made, our coach, Harry Sinden, he only dressed five defensemen. And after two periods, they were done like a dog's dinner. It was not good during the third period. Yeah, and I think if people remember back then, it's not like everyone spent the whole summer working out, right? I mean, summer was, <laughs> I remember stories of the Esposito brothers, you know, paving driveways in the Sioux and things like that. This was not about conditioning and getting ready for a series of this well, nature. Well, you know, we knew they were good hockey players, but, you know, look at the firepower we had. I mean, we had 12 Hall of Famers on that team, and you start off with Esposito, Esposito Cornway, and Mahovlich, and then you come back with, Hatfield, Gilbert, and Rattel, probably the best line in the whole NHL. And then you got Rick Martin and Perot, you know, it goes on and on. And so I figured if, if their goaltenders really played well and ours didn't have a good game, they might tie or they might win a game. But, you know, we, we just got too, too much power there. And But that went out the window <laughs> by the six-minute mark in the first period. I mean, there must have been a sense, though, I mean, they had been playing together a lot. So this was a team. This was not a bunch of, of this was not an all-star team. This was a team full, you know, this was a team. Um, that must have played a factor, too. They knew they knew each other. Well, they put that team together for three years, and that's all they did. And they practiced 11 months of the year. And, of course, they wanted to play us before the season started. And so they knew that they were going to catch us uh, out of shape and, uh, and they were quite confident, you know. But as, and uh, and and they were just great hockey players. They were a lot better than I thought they were. Their, their passing skills, their their stick handling skills, their skill level, they were better than we are. But when it came down to it, like even Tarasov said this: like we we can compete with the Canadian skating, shooting, whatever it is, but we just don't have their heart. We just their passion to win and their willingness to just make it happen. He said, we just can't do it. And I really believe that's the difference between uh, communism and, and democracy. Right. You know, it's uh, – and the Canadians were known – but that's our game. I mean, it's in yeah, our you, DNA. Every kid know. that grows up wants to be an NHL hockey player. Most – well, it did when I grew up anyway. You did. I mean, you had a lot to lose there. I remember, I remember hearing that you talked to your wife after that first game and sort of said, Wow. You know, it's great. It's a great honor to be part of this team, but not if not if we lose. Well, after we lost the first game in Moscow, 
I said to her, if we don't win the last three games, we're going to be known as the biggest losers in the history of Canadian hockey. And I think all of us knew that. But the thing is, the, the good thing about it is, even though well, we played mostly shorthanded uh, that first game in Moscow, and actually I, I scored two goals in that game also, yeah. but we really felt that we had outplayed them. And we were now getting into shape. We'd gone to uh, Sweden and we played uh, two games there. And now, but we were getting down to these are the guys that are going to basically play, maybe change one or two people. And so I remember Harry Sinden said after the game, he came in and said, guys, we outplayed them. We should have won this game. But he said, all I want you to do is think about the next game. Let's win game six, and then we'll worry about game seven. And and, and I think that was really, and then he walked out. He didn't go big. He said, we, we outplayed them. We should have won the game. And so that gave us a bit of uh, confidence there. And thank goodness it uh, turned out pretty well. It, I've watched obviously a lot of the highlights of that Vancouver game, Espo at the end of the game, you know, the fans were upset. What was the mood like in the dressing room after that fourth game in Vancouver and heading ultimately to Sweden and back to Moscow? Well, it wasn't good. And uh, we took two bad penalties at the start of that game in Montreal and they got two power play goals right off the bat and basically uh, took us out of the game. And, and the fans were disappointed, and I was disappointed too. And so they started booing us, and it wasn't a good feeling. But Esposito, <laughs> we had four captains, but Esposito was our leader on and off the ice. And uh, I, although he, did, we none of us saw that interview that he did with Johnny Esau. Right. And after I saw it, yeah, he never saw it for years either. I, they should have showed it to us because the sweat is running off him, and Esau just let him go on. Yeah, and that was a great interview. Esau just let him go on. We're disappointed and we're <laughs> despondent, and we are trying, folks. And they got a good team, but I don't think you know. And yeah. so, but we come back to uh, to Toronto, and I mean, even our families didn't want to talk to us. <laughs> it wasn't good. But it, the, 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 we went to Sweden. We played two games over there. Got used to the bigger ice, and now we're starting to you know, get together as a team and we're used to the bigger ice service. But one of the, the, the one of the reasons we won that is the 3,000 Canadians that went over there. Yeah. We lost the first game in Moscow and we stood on the blue line and had to listen to the national anthem. It's a wonderful piece of music, but it's too long when you lose. And we had to skate off the ice that walked past those Canadian fans and they stood up and they gave us a cheer they went crazy and it was a miserable night in moscow we get back there about an hour later and there were several hundred of them outside our hotel we got off the bus and they went crazy again just cheering in canada in fact that most of them were hammered it's got nothing to do with it. but this is what i'll say before the game six seven and eight the canadian national anthem has never been sung with such fervor and energy as it was. I'm standing on the blue line and my there's hairs on my arm going up. And they got behind us like crazy. And I think it was that Esposito's talk said, listen, we need some help. And boy, did they ever come through. 
Yeah. What was it like landing in Moscow? I mean, obviously, at this point, the Soviets must have thought, hey, we might be able to win this and we might be able to win this on home ice. And of course, we know all the stories of what was going on behind the scenes, some of the shenanigans going on behind the scenes with the refing and so on. Well, uh, the other thing I should tell you, too, that I, I got a concussion. That's right. Over there. That's right. And cut me down. I went into the bit. Thank goodness I was wearing a, a helmet. If I hadn't, I probably would have died. But anyway, I was knocked out, and Jim Murray, our doctor, they get me off the ice, and I had a pounding headache, of course, but he examined me, and he says, Paul, you got to take your equipment off. You've had a concussion. And so Harry Sinden came in, and he said, uh, told me what the doctor had said to him, and you better take it off. And I said to him, Harry, please don't do this. Let me play. I'll take care of myself, but let me play. And I'll never forget that. I remember looking at him, and Harry said, well, Paul, we sure as hell need you. And if you want to play, I am not going to stop you. And I said, well, give me some time. And so I laid there for another 15 minutes or so and went back out. And actually, I think the first ship back out, Clarkie hit me with a pass and I went on a breakaway and scored on uh, on Trechiak to put us up 4-1. And if we'd have won that game, I would have had this winning goal also. But but the you know today I'd have never been left back you know let back out on the ice and that's why I say I had six cushions of the concussions that I know of but that's why I'm not very sharp today because I have an excuse and now I got cancer so I got cancer I got concussions I got an excuse for everything. You sound pretty sharp, Paul. For for a man who's at who's seventy is it seventy nine? No, that's uh, you sound you sound great. Mm. I, the memory the memories of those days too they're so vivid. Um, what was it like just being in Moscow? Was it was it hostile? Did you feel the weight that that the Soviet team now must be under? Because obviously expectations would have been up by the time they got back because they were ahead. Well, for sure, but I think we we took them for granted. But after they won the first game, I think that they started. You know, they couldn't lose now. I mean, they're they're going to win one of the last three games, and that's the worst thing you can do is underestimate your opponent. But I, that was one of the things. But the thing that 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 I think most of us were just amazed is the quality of life of the average person was just awful. Hmm. We come in from the airport when we landed it was at night and never saw one house it was all uh condominium you know apartment, apartment buildings yeah and there would be a light hanging down with no just the lamp just the light bulb no shade or anything and uh it, it was bleak if you were a communist the part of the system was okay but the average person was just and it, it, we hated them but we should never have hated them we should have hated their system because they were just like us, like Trechak, a great guy. And they were trying to keep a wife happy and raise children just like we were. And they were in a very tough situation. But the thing about it, if you were a really good athlete, they took pretty good care of you compared to a lot of other places. But And I come back and I said, if I owned a company, I would take my people over there for three or four days. And they would never complain about Canada again. And so when all of us that we come back, I've always believed we lived in the best country in the world. And that uh, that trip sure solidified it. Tell me about game seven. I mean, you already talked about having a concussion, um, but you, you get the sense, though, that that you can win this. There's confidence in the dressing room at this point. Well, there was. I think we all when like Harry said, when we we played them the first game and that was the first time that we had really done it. And it was bad refereeing that we lost the game. And then 
and game six was another solid uh, game. And then uh, game eight came along and, uh, and it was a real close game. And just, you know, near the end of the game, I, I think I scored the best goal of my whole life with just over two minutes left. I went, I wasn't a guy that could go end to end like a Perot or a Cornway or somebody like that. Uh, uh, but anyway, I did. And there was a one on four and I went in, put it in the top corner. And, and the interesting thing is I said after the game to Eleanor, I, I probably will never score a bigger goal in my whole life. How prescient. <laughs> and then two days later, I score, unfortunately, a garbage goal that everybody's been watching over this years. I tell you, you know what, Foster here, Henderson makes a wild stab forward and falls. Now, yes. every hockey player loves to hear that, don't you? <laughs> but then he said scores, and that made up for it. He did. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone remembers that five, that sort of idea that somehow you'd come back almost like a wrestler getting back up off the mat, right? That somehow you'd come back out of nowhere to to score that goal. That it was almost like, and, and I know this, let, the, the game seven goal is remarkable because it's such a beautiful goal. But the game eight goal, there's a really interesting story behind how you wound up on the ice too, because you you weren't supposed to be there, were you? Well, Clark Ellison and I came off with about a minute left. And Sinden sent out uh, Esposito, Cornway, and Peter Mohovlich. And then he, he came down to us, even though it wasn't our turn. He said, if they come off, you're up. And so, okay, we're up. And so we're sitting there, and at the one-minute mark, I looked up. And, and the Russians had told us that, uh, 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 during the third period that the game ended up on a tie because there's going to be no overtime play it, because the whole series would have been a tie that they scored one more goal than us. And because of European hockey, they were going to claim victory. And so it was just spontaneous. I, I got to get on the ice. And I stood up and I did something I never did before. And I never did it again. Started to yell at Peter Mahalovich to come off the ice. Frank was sitting beside me and he said, what the hell are you doing? His brother, right? Frank Mahalovich, exactly. Yeah. Peter comes off and then I jump over the board. But can you imagine me? I call Peter Mahalovich off the ice. And the Russians would have gone down and scored, and we'd have lost that series with me and the ice. See, I'd be living t in Siberia today, not in if, Mississippi. If you were lucky, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. But but instead, so tell me how that happens because we've all watched it, and I'm sure people love, and I, I understand people love to tell you where they were when, when you scored that goal. But how did you see it? How did it unfold for you uh, in those last thirty seconds? Well, what, I, I jumped over the boards and Cornway had it at the far side. And I'm a right-hand shot coming off left wing. And I yelled at him and he saw me and he threw it across. And I was hoping just a one time, but right into the top corner. And I'll, uh, uh, Ovechkin's type deal. Yeah. But he put it, it was too far in front of me. And I had to reach for it. And their defenseman come up, put the stick between my legs. And I was going so fast, I crashed into the boards and fell down like, Foster said, and I said, I, I still got time. I still got time. I can go do it again. And I got up, and and I Esposito walked in that Trechak, and Trechak said, it wasn't a hard shot. He should have never let the rebound go. Oh, my God. And I, I panicked. I just got it, and I tried to shoot it right along the ice initially, and he threw his pad out and got it. But he was down, took it off the side, and put it right about a foot to put it in. And, you know, the interesting part, my dad had died in 1968, and I was very close to my mom, probably closer to my mom and my dad. And I hadn't thought of my dad the whole series. 
That puck went across the line, and I said, Dad would have loved this one. And I had a touch of a melancholy. Can you believe that? And, that? and then I jumped into Cornway's arm and jumped into his arms, and that's why he's had a couple of uh, back operations over the years since then. <laughs> so you and thought of your... Both of us were yeah. saying that we did it. We did it. We knew that we... But, you know, the interesting thing, we go back to the bench, and Harry said to us, you guys finish it off. And I said, Harry, I'm done. I, I, I'd be petrified to play the last 34 seconds. You put somebody else out there. I, I, I was, I, I just knew it. I, I, I was petrified to play the last 34 seconds. Yeah, and, just in uh, case you were, don't, you don't want to tempt fate too much. Well, I, I was just done. Physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally, I was done. And, and, and you know the interesting thing, after the game, we go in there, and there was no jumping around or anything like that. I think everybody, there was a smile. We were having a beer and just look at the guy across or at the room. And so it was at least a half an hour before I even get, took my skates off. We just sat there and enjoyed the moment and uh, great memory. Yeah, no kidding. And you thought of your dad, amazing how the memory works, right? How the mind works it sometimes. It is a that connection yeah. is unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. And of course, those days, I mean, you know, long before the time of social media and so on, you would have known the Canadians were watching back home, but sitting in a dressing room in Moscow, and I, you know, I think that arena is gone, but I've been to the rink in Moscow. It's kind of out on the on a highway somewhere. It's not particularly a particularly nice spot. Um, you know, you would have not really had an, any idea of how just how excited everyone was back home. No, not to the, but, but what, what did happen, like we got telegrams and, and bags full of uh, uh, postcards that they sent over. So we knew by this time that the people were behind us. And then, of course, those 3,000 crazy Canadians. <laughs> so we knew there was a big interest, but not nothing to where it ever, you know, it, it came to be the whole, I, I love that. If, I don't know whether you've seen this, the Prime Minister, Diefenbaker, him and his wife were sitting there watching it. You know, he, he was almost stunned. So, but uh, I think it was, they said that there was something like 16 million people, Canadians. And I still have people to this day come up and tell me where they were. They want to tell me three things. They want to tell me where they were, what they felt like, and who they were with. It's just indelibly in, the, in, in their minds. And so, yeah, Amazing. it's been a great celebration. Good. Well, yeah, I mean, it just, I can only imagine that, that it's, it's funny because although it's your goal, it's really our goal, right? I mean, I think, I think there are certain things that people look at athletes do and think that's their accomplishment. You know, Usain Bolt winning the 100 meters in record time, that, that's his accomplishment. But somehow that goal became ours. It became everybody's. It became a Canadian thing as opposed to just a Paul Henderson thing. It must be a nice feeling. Well, it is, but I, I'll tell you who, Phil Esposito was the leader. Mm -hmm. and, and he was the best player on the ice. And I, and I would also suggest to you the best period of hockey ever played by a Canadian hockey player up until 1972 would have been the third period. I mean, he mm -hmm. just took the, the team on his back and, uh, and I, I think played the best, you know, hockey of his life. He scored the first two goals and he assisted on the, on Cornways and my goal. Yeah. And so, uh, he was, uh, and every team needs a leader, and we had four captains, but he was the guy that just really, uh, just he did a fabulous job. The talk, everything he did, you know, that's what a leader does. He does what's requ required at the right time. That talk in Montreal, and then 
of course, the series that he played, he was he was incredible. There's been some incredible stories. I, I know because I've heard you share them in the past about just some of the things that people have told you about how much that goal meant to them. Uh, you saved a marriage, apparently, as well. At least one of, as one of the stories goes with that goal of one of the many Canadians who were celebrating that day. Well, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I got a letter from a lady at Christmas time. And she said to me, Paul, thank you, thank you for scoring that goal because you saved my marriage. She went on to say that her and her husband had been going through tough times and they decided to separate. And he came, the afternoon of the game, start of the third period, he came over to where she was and what he, they were going to sign their divorce papers and it would be all over. But he looked in and he saw the game was on and he said, can I watch the third period? And not that they were that, but they were just due to the old marriages over. So we come in and sit down and of course, Esposito scores and they cheer a little bit. Then Cornway scores and cheer a little more. And then when I scored, they went crazy. They were jumping around and cheering and they found their arms around each other and they looked at each other. What the hell are we doing getting divorced? We should not be getting divorced. And he said, we got some counseling. And he said, we put our marriage back together and we are doing really well. But if you had not scored that goal, both of us, he would have walked out of the door. I would have let him and our marriage would have been over. But in the excitement of that moment, well, is that a great story or what? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just love it. And I've got, I still give, I, I got a letter from a mother yesterday and her husband got four tickets to the game. And uh, she gave up her ticket to let her 20 year old son go over there and it's his birthday coming up <laughs> he's 70 now nice. and she wanted me to you know call him and say hello to him so it, it just it, it just never goes away it never I goes was away doing a, i was doing a golf tournament for the lymphoma uh, society and of course i got cancer and last week they had a tournament up in uh, woodbridge and i was going around to the different groups i didn't play I go around and thank them for coming and then, you know, getting pictures and in, in, uh, uh, that uh, kind of stuff. And so, so many of them were saying, you should be in the Hall of Fame. This is just a joke. You know, and I get that all the time. And I tell them, the worst thing they could do was put me in the Hall of Fame. Because they put me in the Hall of Fame. Nobody would be upset anybody but, and everybody would forget me. This way, everybody's ticked off and it. And I'm, I stay in the, in the limelight sort of yeah. way. It would be nice, to be honest, it'd be nice if you were. I mean, it is such... Well, I is, wouldn't turn yeah. it down, I'll tell you that. <laughs> nice if you were, I have to say. Tell me, Paul, about the chronic lymphocytic leukemia, because this is something that goes back a while now to 2009. Here we are, 2022, and you sound good, you look good. Uh, how, how are things going? Well, when I was diagnosed, uh, and it was a surprise. I was, I, in fact, right today, I'm the same weight as I turned pro in 1963. I have a full gym in my basement. I've never been out of shape in my life. And I was feeling well and went in for my annual checkup, and the blood work showed. And then they did a biopsy, and I found out I had cancer. And they just told me I had CLL, hmm. lymphoma, and leukemia. And uh, so they said, you probably would you're probably not going to need treatments for, you know, 18 months, maybe a couple of uh, years, and you'll have to have chemo, and you'll probably get three, four good years, and then it'll come back, and you'll have to hit it again, but you still might have another couple of years, so you, you might have five, six years. So I was 66 at the time, and 
my father died at 49 and my sister at 48, both with heart attacks. And so the Henderson gene is not that good. Uh, well, that's, if I make the 71, it'd pretty, be good. But anyway, I, I got to, by 12, I'd lost 30 pounds. And I looked like I had cancer. You know, you got that gray look. And I decided I wasn't going to do chemo. I figured that would kill me anyway. So, But I was very fortunate. I got into a clinical trial down at National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, a cancer hospital down there. And they saved my life. And uh, there was some serious side effects to the drug. But they told me it wasn't a cure, but uh, it, it, it could hold it at bay. And so it did. And so, uh, but I was really fortunate that uh, the, the 57, of a, 57 of us were in this trial, and I lasted longer than anybody. But just before the COVID started, it, my numbers went bad, and I knew I had to do something else. And by this time, there was another drug called Veniclax. Mm. And this and this drug that I'm on now is even doing better than the last one. Wow. And so I, I'm hoping, <laughs> that's why we're trying to raise money all the time, to <laughs> hopefully we can find a cure for it. And uh my oldest, my oldest sister is really going struggling right now too with cancer. So, it's an insidious poison, but I've been very, very fortunate. And so, yeah, it's 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 obviously wonderful to have you here for the fiftieth, right? I mean, it's great that the great that you're feeling good and in good shape. I'm about to interview Vladislav Tretsiak next week. Any last words uh, that you'd like uh, to share with him before we before we? I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you tell him I am so thankful that he let me score that goal. <laughs> but I, I got a great story. I was inducted into the International Hockey Hall of Fame back in 2012 over in Stockholm. That was the year that, uh, uh, well, a bunch went in. Anyway, they, he comes out and he's, I didn't know, but he's introducing me. And he said some nice things about me, probably because he had to. <laughs> but then he looked at me and he pointed his finger at me and he said, Paul, I know why you scored that last goal. I've looked at those replays over and over. And then he paused for about six or seven seconds, just looking at me. Paul, the reason you scored that goal, it was very bad goaltending. And he got <laughs> the whole house down. And he came up and gave me a big bear hug. I've got to know him. He's just a terrific guy. He really, really is. And you will enjoy him. His English is really good. And so uh, he'll do a lot better job in an interview than I have. I'll oh, I, I, uh, Paul Henderson, it's been a real joy. Thank you so much for sharing your memories of that, of that series, of that wonderful day, uh, that wonderful goal. Much appreciated. Thank you.